So, First Peter chapter 5, we're continuing along in our series of to be or not to be, looking at some of the statements in Scripture that call us to actually be something, not just to do, not just to think about, not just to say, but to actually be. And there's a level of faith, a level of obedience, a level of spirit and commitment to Christ fathoms deeper between I want you to do something, or I want you to say something, or I want you to think about something, and I want you to become and be something. God is someone who calls us not just to do. He calls us to be. And I mentioned last week that a lot of being actually does involve doing, that when we are holy, as God is holy, it's because we are actually doing what God would do, saying what God would say, even at times where we may not totally feel it. But in the end goal... God wants us not just to do what is holy, but to do what is holy so much, do what is right so much, that it ceases to be what we do and becomes what we are. Big difference. Uh, For me, and this is not in any way, this is not saying anything about me. This is really saying something more about people who raised me. My parents, obviously, my grandparents, and the church that I was raised in, Everybody who had a part, that's where I would put the credit, to them and to God. And that is this. It it dawned on me, young, young in my adulthood uh, and in ministry, that there was a big difference between being and doing and being and attending. Uh, A lot of people attend church, not as many as used to, uh, but, but a lot of people attend church. Attending doesn't make you a Christian. Attending doesn't make you, even more deeply as we might put it, it doesn't make you a disciple. Attending doesn't make you holy as God is holy. Attending does not. Because you can attend a lot of things and never become what you attended. You can go to school every day of your life and leave there as ignorant as a cardboard box. It's possible. Happens all the time. You can go to a restaurant every day of your life. You're going to be broke. But you could go every day of your life. It will not make you a chef. It might make you fat. You'll become something. But it won't make you a chef. You can you can sit at a restaurant and watch the guy cook all day long. Doesn't make you anything. We can come to church. And it doesn't make us anything. That is the work of two things combined. God's call and our faithfulness. And there's no other way there. That's the way that you become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It is not just in the doing. That's part of faithfulness. It's in the becoming. So what I want to give credit for to people older and wiser than I that had a part in my life is this. That I learned early on in my walk with Christ that there was a difference. People who attended acted like attending or faith or service or love or anything was all an option. What they raised us young Christians in those classes and studies and home and everywhere else was to realize that Christian isn't something we participate in or attend. Being a Christian is who we are. And so there are a lot of decisions that I never had to make as a young Christian. Not because, again, not not because of anything special to me, special to what they conveyed to me. Because I knew that that's what I 
wanted to be. So there were decisions I didn't make, didn't have to make them. I'm, they happened because this is what a Christian is. It's not a matter of, you know, should I do this this week or not? No, that didn't matter. That wasn't even asked because this is who I was trying to become. This is who I wanted to be, and this is who I am. Okay? So that's the difference. Sometimes people will say things. This is a unique thing to being a preacher. People will say this, and all I know is that I lower their IQ in my mind when they say it. I lose respect for them sometimes, depending on how they say it. They'll say, well, you have to do that because you're a preacher. That's wrong. If I do anything that God calls us to do only because I'm a preacher, what am I not? Yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? Because then wouldn't it be because I'm a Christian? Everything, literally everything I do as a preacher, except maybe adjusting thermostats and little chores like that, I do because I believe in Jesus. I did them before I was a preacher. I did them when I was a teenager. Okay? That all started when I started following Christ. Again, this is not about me. Okay? Please do not take it that way, because I don't want it to be that way. Because I'm only one of a billion other people who have done the same thing in history. Okay? That's it. But why did they do it? Not because they thought it was a chore to be done. It was who they were and who they are. And I know a lot of you are exactly the same way. That's why I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to take away from you that you were the same. Uh, this is, and if, if you're sitting there kind of wondering, maybe you're, that's not who you are yet. And, you know, why do they do what they do? Why, why is this so important to them? Or why is that so important to them? It's not important because we're following a checklist. It's important because we're following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the difference. So that's part of what's going to go into uh, the passage that we're, we're looking at. And really all four of these lessons on to be or not to be. The question is, am I just going to attend? Am I just going to think about it? Am I going to talk about it? Am I going to claim to be? Or am I going to be? what God calls me to be. Let's look at our passage this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this in sections. The first two verses I want to look at is 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 to 9. And if you got the new version, it is in there. Uh, I'm trying to get that, make that an actual habit. So it's, it's been there for this whole thing. Let's read this together. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And you see what I've got bold and yellow. That's the first part we're going to look at there. It's the B verse for today. Be alert and of sober mind. That is so hard for me to say because I used an older translation when I memorized this passage. And it's be sober minded and alert. And all they did when they updated it was make them backwards. That drives me crazy. I know I've mentioned that before, but Zondervan ain't listened yet. Anyway, uh, be sober-minded, and I, I'm just going to say it the way I got it. Sober-minded and alert. And what does that even mean, to be sober-minded and alert? Alert, I think we get, you know, we okay, pay attention. Be watchful is what some translations say. But sober-minded, sometimes people's mind goes immediately, pardon me, immediately to what might make you one of many things that could make you not sober. And they go to drink. Well, he's saying we got to be sober. It's not what he's talking about. It would be included. It's under the umbrella. But what is he talking about? 
because there are some teetotalers never touched a drop of alcohol, wouldn't eat spaghetti sauce made by Italian if they found out there's red wine in it, right? There's people like that, and they are not sober-minded. They aren't. They aren't. They aren't paying attention. They aren't self-controlled. The Greek word here can be translated self-controlled, and some of your translations may even say be self-controlled and alert. Well, that's a whole different dynamic, isn't it? Between, you know, don't drink too much and be self-controlled. Again, there are plenty of teetotalers who have no self-control. Some of them are gluttons. Some of them are wife beaters. Some of them have issues with pornography and everything else. Self-control, a fruit of the Spirit, by the way, is way more than any one thing. But he's telling us, you need to rein yourself in. Your heart, your mind, your emotions, your appetites, what you spend your time on, where you go, who you talk to, rein it in. Are you gossiping? Are you belligerent? Are you impatient? Rein it in. Be self-controlled. And then he says, and alert. Why is that? Well, two things. One, we'll get to where he talks here about uh, the devil and, and how what he's up to. But there's also a sense of being really alert to what we've gotten comfortable with. So we acclimate, as it says up there, I think. Yes. We acclimate by default. Uh, you didn't know this, but we talked about several things that are going to be in this sermon just this morning. <laughs> it's really kind of funny how that works, isn't it? We acclimate by default. You know, some people compare it to the frog in the kettle sort of a thing where you warm up the water and it doesn't jump out, which, by the way, not even scientifically true, but it's still a great metaphor, even though it's totally false. Uh, maybe they were thinking of, like, vacationers in a hot tub at the holiday. I don't know. Those people that happens to. But you, you just adapt to things, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And sometimes we notice it and we're aware of it, and sometimes we don't notice, and we are completely unaware. This can be a good thing. Uh, Lori was asking me about, you know, the cold thing and also telling me she was psychoanalyzing me like I didn't know that. Uh, we had a rule in our family when Tanya's brother was in the psych, psych program over at ACU, no analyzation at the dinner table ever. I mean, we all knew that he was really still doing it, but we didn't want to hear about it. Okay. It was that sort of a deal. Anyway, uh, kind of, act I heard that. <laughs> He wasn't amening me. He was amening the rule over there. I know how that went. Lunch is going to be different today, I bet. Uh, that would be tough. So where was I? Acclamation. It's a gift from God, and it is. So you, you were talking to me about the cold, and, you know, she was saying, you know, something's broken, I think is what she said. But I, I've joked about that, that Russia broke that end of my feeling weather and stuff. But that's really just kind of a joke. The truth is, I didn't want to become, and I'm not picking on anybody here, don't take it that way, because I'll pick on myself in a minute. I didn't want to become uh, kind of, a, you know, so wimpy about the cold. It's going to happen anyway. There's, it's, it's not really good or bad. It can be dangerous at some levels. You need to be aware. You need to be safe. But I can do that and learn how to tolerate it and maybe even enjoy it. And I would tell you, I love cold weather because I eventually found that it energizes me. Maybe that's because it makes me walk faster because I'm trying to get into the house and, you know, inside. I don't know, but it works. I find it energizing. I love the beauty of winter. It has its own beauty. Now, not, not fair. If you never go to New York in February because that will make a lie of the beauty of winter. 
Uh, it's just not the time to be there. But there are a lot of things that are beautiful. I absolutely love snow. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous. There is a piece that comes. It cleans the air. If you don't get the first one and you avoid the yellow snow, you can make ice cream. Don't make me explain. Um, but you can do that, and it's wonderful. And I love all of that about it. I love it when the snow in New York would be so much that everything shut down for the day, and you would go outside to shovel the sidewalk, which I sometimes love. There was one time it was too hard, and I hurt my back, and I was out for three days. I did not enjoy that, although I enjoyed the three days of staying in and and, you know, winter being snowed in meant baked goods and coffee and, you know, just kind of peace and quiet. I love that. I love the peace of the world in the morning when everybody's still asleep and dreading and going shoveling and you're the first one out there. Peace and quiet. It's amazing. There is beauty that you can adapt to, even in some of those harder times. Now, heat's another matter. That's from the devil. I know that because God said hell's going to be hot. Biblical. Biblical. Uh, but that too, going to Cambodia, it's hot and it's humid. That's like two things I don't like, the way some of you don't like winter, heat and humidity. Well, when I was getting ready to go the first time, this was 2011, we were still up in the Northeast. I knew after, at that point, eight years of being in the Northeast, I knew my heat tolerance was down, okay? Because uh, I knew that suddenly 95 felt like 105 to me, okay, because you acclimate. You don't do it on purpose. Your body just adapts, and after that many years, it just changes its perception of things. And so, you know, I knew this was going to be really tough because there it's 105, and the humidity, I don't even know how this is uh, scientifically possible, 230%. No, I'm kidding. It's 100% humidity, which I always felt like should be the ocean. I don't know why that works, but... You know, 100% humidity, 105 degrees every day, and that is over my tolerance. So what did I do to get ready for it? And it didn't all work, but to get to, to get ready for it, one thing, I had a car that in New York, the air conditioner didn't work. Uh, it was going to be expensive to fix. It wasn't really that long. Why bother? So I just would tough it. Or if Tanya wasn't going anywhere, I'd steal her car because her air conditioner worked. And so I decided this summer, up until the trip, I'm going to drive this car without the air conditioner on purpose just to get my body used to the lack of air conditioning. And I think I think that helped. It's, I was still in shock a few of those days in Cambodia, let me tell you. But I think it helped. Then I've kind of just taken that, and when we moved back here, I just kind of took that and took that and took that. And now the heat really doesn't bother me all that much. Now, 108, we were talking about this the other day. 108, if that doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with your brain, and, and you can book an appointment there with, with Lori, just like that. Uh, but it's it's rough, okay? I don't like 108, neither does the Lord. That's why he's using it as, as over our heads to say, it's going to be 108. That thing is going nuts again. It's going to be 108. So there is that. But even that, you can acclimate. After four trips, by the last time I went, and it not a single day bothered me. The heat in Cambodia did not bother me at all on the last trip. I walked for miles and miles while I was there. I think uh, altogether it was like 20-some-odd miles that I walked uh, just doing my day afternoon walk and thoroughly enjoyed that. And that's just because our bodies are made to acclimate. It's a gift from God that we can adapt to things 
tougher than we think we can adapt to. And that's just like light challenges, really, whether it's just the light challenges for us most of the time. But it can be done. It's just an, an, a proof it can be done. Like every blessing, a gift can be turned into a curse. If we don't use it right and we don't use it wisely, anything God gives us as a blessing can be bad. We also adapt, acclimate, become desensitized to things that we should not. There are thoughts, ideas, behaviors, language, all kinds of things that we don't even think about at our time that would have absolutely shocked a Christian even 10 years ago. Not a hundred, 10 years ago. And it's not a blessing. It's not a blessing to our world. It's not a glory to God. And it's not for our spiritual health. But we've acclimated. All of us. I think all of us have done it. We've acclimated. We've become desensitized. We are not sober-minded. And we're not alert. And things are happening, like the frog in the kettle that doesn't actually happen but does happen with us. Things are happening. And things are changing in ways that don't honor God. That's at a big picture, societal, cultural, world level. And that's at an individual, spiritual health, holy or unholy, in our own hearts level. There are just all kinds of things. I'm not even going to get into specifics because the list is too long and that's a whole other series. It could take the rest of the year. You don't want that. I don't want that. I'm already hungry. Okay? I want lunch. But you get the idea. You know what I'm talking about. And you may have you may have a list that includes some things that I'm desensitized to and ought to wake up to. That's the other thing. All of us kind of know some. I think God calls us together as a community in part. So we'll start putting those pieces together and go, oh, this is a bigger problem than I thought. Desensitization, acclimation, again, can be a gift from God until it isn't. Until we're not wise about it and we're not awake and watching what's really happening in our heart, in our church, in our family, in our marriage, in our whatever. And then it's it's too late. How many times do we wake up and say, well, if only I'd seen that. If only I'd known. If only I'd been paying attention. If only, if only, if only. Peter is saying, don't wait till it's if only. Wake up now. Be sober-minded and alert now. Open your eyes. Okay? Life just kind of lulls us into. This is what Satan does a lot of the time. He lulls us into a moment of peace and comfort. In Second Peter, he talks about unbelievers and about how they look around and they say, well, you know, you, you keep saying that this, this Jesus is coming again and you're saying that, that we need to be ready and we've got to be sober and alert. And, and you keep saying all of this. And the unbelievers say, Peter quotes them as saying, but everything keeps going on the same way it's always gone on. We're still just making the same progress that we think we've been making. And we're doing what we think we're doing. And, and you know, I just get up, go to work, participate with my family in the evening, get things done, go to bed. Nothing ever changes. What are you talking about? This Jesus is coming again. Peter warns the Christians, you need to hold on and be faithful because I'm telling you, he is coming again. And that's exactly the time when he's going to come. God is going to come. Jesus is going to come. When? 
when the world is sitting there going, I don't think there's really even a problem. And I don't think he's really coming. They're going to be saying peace and safety. They're going to be saying everything's fine. They're going to be saying it's, it's all routine. And then wham, it's going to hit them like a brick wall. And then it's going to be too late. It works the other way around too. So don't get too proud and haughty to your, towards your unbelieving neighbors. Because it works the other way too. Christians get lulled into the same kind of thinking. Ah, everything's fine. You know, I've just been real busy. I got a lot going on, so you know, I got my routine. I get up, I go there here, and I go there, and I do the work, and I do this, and I do that, and then I, and then I get home, and it's 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 pretty late, and you go to bed. Were you ever alert to Jesus' presence? No. Were you ever aware of what wisdom He had for your day? No. You didn't have time for that because you were lulled into a routine, and since the routine felt pretty good, you felt like, well, I'm blessed beyond measure, and you didn't even think about the blesser at all. Lulled. And then, wham, that's when Satan pounces, isn't it? People on the Titanic, because we all know that story, what were they doing? Some were sleeping, some were dining, some were enjoying music being played. Some were so lulled into a false safety, they chipped ice off the iceberg and put it in their drink. We can be so fooled into our peace, security, and comfort that we ignore every warning sign that's there. Peter says, do not get lulled into that. There's another way it happens. We take shortcuts. We uh, we think, well, everything will be fine. And so we God calls us here, but we just kind of go to there. Uh, we, we cheap out and we lazy out and we go the easy route out into... A life that's it's just always whatever was just the easiest. Not what we were called to, but just whatever was the easiest. And the problem with this is the only thing that is guaranteed by always doing things in the easiest, most comfortable way is failure. Failure. It's the only thing that is guaranteed through the easy way. Real life takes work. Real life takes integrity. Real life takes stepping up and beyond what you thought would be the comfortable, easy route. And that we acclimate to as well, because it's because it's easier. We just kind of acclimate to that, and we don't see the danger that's there. That's really what happened with the Titanic, but I'll give you another example. Uh, Cadillac, General Motors, had a wonderful uh, engineered design for an engine. The people, car people in the room will know about the North Star engine. Some of them are good, some of them are not. depends on the years that you buy. But the, the bad ones is the ones I want to talk about. What happened was the engineers created this wonderful, powerful V8. They wanted it to rival engines and its sophistication and its abilities. They wanted it to rival engines from Mercedes, which is not as good as it used to be either, for all the same reasons I'm about to tell you, uh, but Mercedes and Lexus and Audi and companies like that. And they actually accomplished it in their engineering and in their design, it was really quite impressive, an engine. You know, you wouldn't know that if you go and Google Northstar, but that's true. It was actually a very impressive engine. It was all hobbled by one thing. The accountants looked at everything and said, you know, we could save $5 per car. I'm not kidding. That's the amount. $5. $5 per car if we would use this set of bolts to bring that engine together, and this is all around 
the uh, I just lost the head gasket. If if the bolt that holds the heads and everything together and the head covers and all that and the head gasket, those bolts, we'd say five bucks if we use these instead of the ones it was engineered for. Five bucks. They've admitted this. Five bucks. They've admitted they knew the problem for years and still didn't spend the five bucks. Five bucks. On a $65,000 car at the time, five bucks. Saving five dollars, by the way, cost them three, sometimes four thousand dollars in warranty repairs per car if it hit during the warranty period. So they lost so much money, but worse, they lost their reputation. They lost customers for life, right and left, over that issue, over five bucks. Now, let me ask you this How many times? Have you made a spiritual, ethical, or even just a matter of excellence in your work decision that was the equivalent of the five bucks on those bolts? How many times? And maybe you've gotten away with it a few times. You know, GM let it go for years because they thought, ah, these cars will all be out of warranty and it won't be our problem. Is that a Christian life? Is that a Christian ethic? It's not when we make those decisions either, when we make the shortcuts. And this is also part of what Peter wants us to be alert to. Those shortcuts are dangerous to your spiritual well-being. Wake up. Exercise some self-control. Exercise some spiritual sobriety. Be aware of the consequences of your choices and your decisions. And step it up because it matters. Why does it matter? It goes back to... Uh, let's see here. I already said that, so I'm going to go on. The fact that we are actually in a spiritual war. Satan is fighting for your soul. He wants your heart and your eternity. It's not that he thinks you're all that important, but it's that God thinks you're that important. And he wants to poke his thumb in God's eye with every one of you. That's his motive. It's horrible, but it's true. And we are the casualties that are at stake in this. Our neighbors are the casualties that are at stake in this. I said here that it's not a story of irresistible fate because we also need to remember it's not a done deal. Okay, We can stand against that. We can fight against that. We can fight to save souls and to save eternal lives, to save ourselves through Jesus Christ, I mean, but you know what I'm saying. We can make that fight. But that's something that has to be done deliberately. It doesn't work just automatic. Automatically, we do what? We acclimate. We get comfortable. We put up cushy pillows and don't go anywhere. We get a spiritual lazy boy, kick it back, and we're done. And the problem is, a a spiritual lazy boy is like the devil's rotisserie. He's just got you sitting there spinning, and he's just getting you nice and tender, just like he wants you. Just think about that for a second. All right. There's a war. And in that war, we don't want to be these guys. That's two of the three stooges. I had to find a three stooges picture. It just seemed right. Because this is the way we often fight, isn't it? But by the grace of God, this is what we would be in spiritual warfare. And if we try to do it on our own without Jesus, this is this is totally where we're going. Right here. Just imagine that. You got Larry Moe and Curly on a hot fire for eternity. Does that sound like what you want? No. Okay. 
But this is where we would be. Well, let's look back, and that says verse 9, but it's actually verse 8. Let's look at it again and see what he says. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan knows what he's up to. Satan knows what's going on. And Satan has an agenda. He wants to destroy you from the inside out. And so that's what he works toward. He is looking for someone to devour. And Cushy, not paying attention. You've all seen those documentaries on the animals in Africa, right? They're all at the water hole. Which of those antelopes is going? The one who's just over there at the pond. <laughs> that one's gone. Every time. The poor, dumb antelope. Every time. And you feel sorry for it. But at the same time, some of you guys are sitting there going, you know, tenderloin sounds pretty good right now. And that's the way the devil is. Easy pickings. Lions are like that. They go for the weak, the slow, and the not paying attention. Who does this lion go for? The weak, the slow, and the not paying attention. Don't be that Christian. Be awake. Be alert. Be strong. Be ready. And then he goes on and he tells us what to do about it. Before we can do anything about it, we got to be paying attention. We have to know what the stakes are. We know, have to know what the risks are. Here's what we do. Let's look again at the passage and let's look at verses 10 and 11. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, when I get up here, I'm going to use another version because I like the wording better again. But strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Here's the thing. Peter gives us very quickly how we can deal with it. And then he gives us this promise. How we deal with it is pretty obvious. First, say no. Okay? Satan is trying to fight for your soul. What would you do, ladies, if somebody's trying to grab your purse? You got your purse, your phone's in there, maybe even your, your self-defense, whatever you use, is in there. What are you doing for that purse? I know they tell you, just let them have the purse. But what do you, what's your instinct? Oh, no, you're not. Okay? Somebody around here could be looking around and going, you know, they did not. That's who I'm getting their purse. Y'all be careful. Self-controlled and alert. Be sober-minded. Pay attention. Okay? You're going you're gonna to resist. Somebody tries to take your child or your grandchild while you're at Walmart. What are you going to do? I mean, I know there's a couple of you that are, you pay them. Is that what you said? What'd you say? You're going to fight. I was going to say, I know you would fight. You would fight. I mean, I know that, I know there are parents who would be like, oh, please. You know, they go to Walmart every day, just try it and it never works because everybody knows. But no, you're going to fight to the death. And you're sure it's not going to be yours. Okay? That might seem violent, but it's your kid. It's your kid. Why do we not put up the same fight spiritually for our kids? Why do we not put up the same fight spiritually for our marriages? Why do we not put up that same kind of a fight for the heart and, and soul? I'm not talking at all political because that's part of the corruption. For the heart and soul of our country? 
the actual eternal life of the people within it? Why do we not? Satan does, and he takes no days off. Why don't we do that? Start telling him no. It's a promise of God that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Put that promise to the test. Don't put God to the test. Put your faith in God to the test. Do I really believe him? Well, then resist. Start saying no. You're not getting me. It's not going to happen. You're not getting my family. You're not getting my town. You're not getting it. Resist the devil. Know that you're not alone. I think this one's important. He says, you know that all your brothers and sisters here in this room and all your brothers and sisters around town and around the world, they're going through all the same things you're going through. Why does he say that? Well, then it really is bad. That's not why he's saying it. He's saying it so that you will wake up and know, okay, well, if all my brothers and sisters are going through this, we should lean on each other. We should support each other. And we should fight together instead of fight each other. There's a big difference. And so we'll move on in step with each other as we follow Christ. We look at the church in America and we see its decline. We look at the church around the world and we see its growth. What does that mean? We're out of step. That's what that means. We need to lock arms with our faithful brothers and sisters and not drag them down. But let's let them lift us up. Do what they're doing. If it's working, do what they're doing. And this other one, this goes back to the cold. This is what I was thinking of, too, when we were having that conversation. Lean into it. The war's happening. You can't change that. The fight's coming to you. You can't change that. What you can do is lean in, trust the Lord, pray up, and just deal with it. Not in a negative way, not a a sarcastic way. Deal with it in faith. God, I know you get me through. You've gotten my brothers through. You've gotten my sisters through. You've done this for thousands of years. God, I know you have it. Let's go. Lean in, toughen up, and get at it. This is what Peter says helps us to win this war. And don't just be alert to what the devil's doing. Don't just be alert to where you need to grow and how you can grow. Be alert to what God promised in 10 and 11. So now let's look at that promise again. After you have suffered a little while, this is specific to this church that Peter's writing to, because he knows for a fact they are already going through and will go through some more persecution. We don't know that for a fact, but we should plan on it. Disciples of Jesus, send the Sermon on the Mount. Disciples of Jesus know it's coming. So, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Let's park on that for a second. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. In this war, what is it that God is fighting for? He's not fighting for his reputation. He said, that's right. He's not fighting for his reputation. He's fighting for you. He has called you home, and he wants to make sure that you get there. So the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, this is his personal promise, very personal. Peter words words it this way on purpose. He himself will restore you. Some of us need some restoration. Our hearts in shambles, our spirits in decay, we need it. He will do it. He will restore, confirm, 
What does he mean by confirmed? God looks at you and says, yes, that is my child. Yes, he, she is my saved child. Yes, I bring them home in glory. Yes, I stand by them. They are mine. Strengthen. Don't we need that? Because it's a big fight. Strengthen and establish you. You see why I chose this translation for this. To establish us. What does that mean? Firm foundation cannot be shaken. When the whole world is going to hell, you stand firm. Ephesians 6, what does he say? But you stand. You put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. And he says, you know what? He helps you do it. And he promises you can. Not a question, not an if. There are no question marks anywhere in any of this. You will be established. This is why we then all say to the Lord, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oh, God is good. That's Peter going, that's so good. I'm going to write it right in there. God deserves the glory and the dominion, which I think is an interesting word to use. We like to say as a promise and a, and a reminder of promise, God is in control. Peter says, give God the control. That's what he says. Give him the dominion. Let him have it. Maybe that's part of our instruction, too. If you want all this to be true, what do you have to do first? Lord, I believe. Baptize into Christ, because in that act you are declaring to God, God, I surrender. My life is your life. I take on the fight that you want us to fight. I take on the life that you want us to live. I take on the holiness that you want us to have. God, I surrender. Buries him with Christ, and he raises us with Christ, forgiven, with his spirit to live within us. Through all these things, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us in the kingdom of God now and forever.